Everyone loves getting good news. Let me give you some examples. Now, it could be good news about a bargain. A few years ago, I was flying to California on a business trip. I had an economy ticket and I went to the airport to the check-in desk. And guess what I was offered? A free upgrade to first class. Fantastic. Or it could be good news about a test. Who still remembers that day when they finally passed their driving test? No more three-point turns. And especially if you passed fourth time like me. Or finally, it could be good news about your work. Last week, Alison came home really happy. Not because I'd bought her flowers for Valentine's Day, but because her working contract had changed. And she's now got three more days holiday every year. Everyone loves good news. But think about this. Imagine if you were stranded on some island somewhere, okay? And you were given some paper, and you were asked to write down, what is the greatest news ever? What is the news that everyone must hear? What would you write down? Well, almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John gave us an answer to that question. And this morning, we're going to look at what he said. It was around the year 1895, and John is writing a letter from the island of Patmos to the seven churches in Asia. Now, on this island, John received a vision from God, and it's here that he explains the greatest news ever. So what is that news? Well, here it is. God is on a rescue mission. And it's the news that everyone must hear. And nothing even comes close. For instance, hands up who has not heard of Coca-Cola. Everyone's heard of Coca-Cola. And why? Because their vision is for the whole world to hear about Coca-Cola. And 97% of the world has now heard of Coca-Cola. 72% of the world has seen a can of Coca-Cola and 51% of the world has tasted this fizzy drink. But how much greater is the message that we have to tell? Infinitely greater. So let me ask you, what does that mean for you if you're a Christian? Well, it's this. You are made for a mission. We are partners with God in the greatest mission on this planet. And so... As we continue in 40 Days of Purpose, we're going to look at this fifth purpose for your life. Now, if you recall, on the first week, we looked at worship. You were plans for God's pleasure. In the second week, we looked at fellowship. You were formed for God's family. And the third, discipleship, you were created to become like Christ. Last week, we looked at ministry. You were shaped for serving God. And so finally, we come to evangelism. You were made... For our mission. And if you look at Revelation chapter 5, we find out what this means. And so this morning, I invite you to join me as we investigate together what it means to be made for our mission. And we're going to explore three great realities about this mission. Number one, it is a mission launched. Number two, it is a mission shared. And number three, it is a mission accomplished. And so firstly, it is a mission launched. Verses 1 to 7. 
Now, most Friday nights, we rent out a movie. It's our chill-out night. And the trick is, try to get a film that we both actually enjoy. But a film we both liked was called Saving Private Ryan. And you may have seen it. It's a film directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's all about the launch of a mission. Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller. And Captain Miller is sent behind enemy lines on a mission. And what is that mission? To rescue a soldier. But let me ask you, have you ever thought about this? That you and I desperately need rescued. And your colleagues at work need rescued. Even your boss needs rescued. And your next door neighbour needs rescued. And why? Because there is coming a day of judgment. C.S. Lewis writes this about that final day of judgment. He says this. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play's over. For this time, it will be something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. And so what has God done? He's launched a rescue mission. Now, there are three things to observe about the launch of this mission. And how does it begin? Well, it begins with a problem. And it's here we come to the central needs of history. Now, notice what happens here. Let's turn one page back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, what do you find? You discover a wonderful description of God. He's seated on his throne, yes, and day and night all of heaven's hosts are proclaiming. Verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What a picture. But in chapter 5, look what happens. From sheer wonder, John turns to sheer despair. So why? Well, in verse 1, we see in the right hand of God a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And what is that scroll? One writer says this. It represents God's eternal plan. It symbolises God's purpose with respect to the entire universe throughout history. Okay, so what happens next? Well, in verse 2, if you look down, John sees a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? In other words, who can fulfill God's plans? In verse 4, John tells us, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Like a Winter Olympics without athletes, the universe appears to lack a champion. But notice, thankfully, it doesn't end there. John is told not to weep. Why? Because here we come to the solution. The central person of all history, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's impeccable Son. And what a change in verse 5. Notice in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And someone who knew this was Billy Sunday. Now, Billy Sunday was once a famous baseball player. But in the early 20th century, he became a full-time evangelist. And he was known for jumping on tables when he was preaching. We won't do that this morning. But he once said this. There are 256 names given in the Bible. 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because, listen, he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. And we see that here in verse 5. Jesus is described by two titles. Firstly, he is described as a lion of the tribe of Judah. On his deathbed, Jacob called in his sons, who were to become the twelve tribes of Israel. He prophesied about their future. And it was Judah who was to be the leader of the leading tribe. And as recorded in Genesis chapter 49, You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. And notice, this prophecy is now finally fulfilled in Christ. And secondly, notice, he is described as the root of David. And this time, it was a prophecy given through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, that's the father of King David, and from his roots a branch will bear fruits. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Now, let me ask you, what does all this tell us? Jesus Christ, Son of God, is the central person of history. As someone once said, history is his story. And thirdly, now we come to the central event of history. Now for all of us, there are some events that just make history. And we remember them. Such as the 20th of July 1969. What event took place on the 20th of July 1969? Neil Armstrong became the first man to walk on the moon. I think that's what someone said. And it could also be a personal event. An important day for me is the 16th of September 1999. And I know that one. Any guesses? I can't forget that one. I got married that day. Well, in Revelation chapter 5, here we come to the greatest event of all. And here we see why. Jesus Christ is able to open the scroll and its seals. And why is he worthy? Because of what he has done. Verse 6. What does it say? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The lion is also the lamb. And watch this. This lamb is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, explains what took place in his book Christ Among Other Gods. And he says this. Christ was crucified between two thieves. If you had a video camera, he would have looked like an ordinary man dying a common though painful death. Yet, the New Testament teaches that invisible to the human eye, a sacrifice was being made for sinners. This death was like no other. Salvation, which Christianity defines as reconciliation with God, was accomplished for those who believe. And as Paul could write to the church in Corinth, for the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This the power of the cross. Christ, think of that, became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath 
we stand forgiven at the cross. Amazing. And I wonder if you know the reality of that in your own life this morning. So there's a mission launched. And secondly, it is a mission shared. Verses 8 to 10. Now this morning, we have heard two reports. Now one of them was of our missionary family. And I think I'm right in that we support currently around 40 missionaries. And they're working in 10 different nations all over the world. From Scotland to Singapore. And from England to Ecuador. And from the Philippines to Papua New Guinea. And we also heard about Christianity Explored. And in just four weeks' time, we're launching a new Christianity Explored course. So here's the question. Why do we do that? Why do we bother with Christianity Explored? And why do we support our missionaries? Well, here's the answer. We are partners in a mission. The greatest mission on this earth. Like what David Watson once said. He said this. Compared with evangelism, everything else happening in the church is like rearranging the furniture when the house is on fire. I wish I'd said that first. And there are three words we're going to think about here. The first word is adoration. Adoration. And Hudson Taylor explained this very well. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission. And he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion... He met with a group of applicants. And why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary? He asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. So how did Hudson Taylor respond? Well, here's what he said. All of these motives however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. It's amazing. And we see that adoration in verses 8 and 9. Look look down. And they sang a new song. And in Psalm 40, you recall, King David Reminds us why every Christian can join in this new song. Do you remember? I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Adoration. And now the second word is anticipation. And here we come to verse 9. And it's a wonderful picture. Listen to what has been sung about Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. So what is this? It's the song of redemption. And so what is John saying here? Well picture this. God is giving John a vision. And notice this vision is of something that is absolutely certain to take place. Guaranteed. People from every tribe and from every language and from every people and from every nation will be part of Christ's glorious kingdom. What a future. And a few years ago, I got a small taste of this 
I was on my first overseas missions with OM, Operation Mobilization in Romania. Now, I flew to Budapest in Hungary, not first class this time, unfortunately, and there I joined other Christians from all over the world being trained in evangelism in a former youth communist training camp. It was brilliant. Now, here's what this means for us. As we're involved in mission, we are anticipating a multiracial, multicultural community of God's people. So adoration, anticipation, and now application. So how do we apply all this? Well, look at verse 10. John writes, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Okay, so what does this mean? Now watch this. When we bow the knee to Jesus, we not only become members of God's family, but citizens of his kingdom. And in that kingdom, notice, we serve as priests. And the task of a priest is to bring God to people and people to God. So think about this. Why not ask God to put on your mind two or three people that you can pray for, that they'll become Christians? Pray for them and spend time getting to know them. And how do you do that? By going for a meal together. By watching the Winter Olympics together. Going for a round of golf. Babysitting with your neighbour and so on. And when an event such as Christianity Explore starts, or there's a guest service, you can bring them to it. And it won't be forced. It won't be awkward. Why? Because a relationship has already been developed. We have a gospel to proclaim good news for men in all the earth. The gospel of a saviour's name. We sing his glory. Tell his worth. So there's a mission launched. And a mission shared. And finally, there's a mission accomplished. Verses 11 to 14. Now last week, we heard about Shelley Rudman. Shelley is from Wiltshire. And on Thursday, she won a silver medal in the Winter Olympic Games. And she deserved it. Why? Because it's the scariest sport ever. Must be. Skeleton bobsleigh, travelling 80 miles per hour, headfirst on a tiny sledge. Scary. But what is really amazing is how she got there. If you remember, supporters in her hometown did a, took up a collection and they raised £4,000 to send her to the Olympic Games. And on Thursday, their mission was accomplished. Shelley had won Britain's first Olympic medal. Well, if you look at verse 11, John is given a vision of the greatest mission on earth accomplished. What does he say? Let's look at this. Let's read it. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits in the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And as we think about this great mission being accomplished, I want us to notice three reasons why you can rejoice. 
Okay? Number one, rejoice in the promise of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel that some things are just too good to be true? For example, you drive home one day and you sit down for your dinner and the phone rings. Hello, Richard. You've just won a free cruise in the Caribbean. Sure I have. Well, here is something you can absolutely rely on. The promises of Christ. Why? Because the Lamb has triumphed. The tomb is empty. D.L. Moody remarks on the dying thief who trusted in Jesus. Listen to what he says. The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation and yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him, took him into paradise. Isn't that wonderful? The lamb has triumphed. And you can test yourself by asking, what am I trusting in this morning? Is it my money, my career, my good works, or is it the promises of Christ? So number one, we can rejoice in the promise of Christ. Number two, we will rejoice in the presence of Christ. Now, I don't know what you're like around famous people. Cool, calm, and collected. Well, a few years back, I met someone quite famous. And here's what happened. I used to work as a consultant for Ernest and & Young, and one of our clients was Scottish widows. And guess who came to visit Scottish widows? The Prime Minister, Tony Blair. And were people excited? Absolutely. But imagine this. Imagine being in the presence of the Lord of Heaven, and King of Earth. In verse 12, the one who is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Well, think about this. That's who we're serving in mission. And listen, one day we're going to meet him. And in the last chapter of the Bible, we get a symbolic picture of this. Revelation 22. And listen to what verse 3 says. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Puritan Richard Baxter writes eloquently for us, My knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. And number three, we rejoice in the preeminence of Christ. Now, if you recall, we started 40 days of purpose by thinking back to 1643. And what happened in 1643? Well, in 1643, the English Parliament summoned a meeting at Westminster Abbey, and at these meetings, the Westminster Confession of Faith was drawn up. Now, can anyone still remember, what is the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if you look at verse 13, that's the great goal of mission when every creature in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them glorifies Christ. That's our goal. William Barclay comments on these tremendous verses. Here's what he says. Here there is the truth, that heaven and earth and all that is within them is designed and purposed for the praise of Jesus Christ. The final dream of the universe is a universe praising Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to lend our voices and our lives to this vast chorus of praise. And so we can ask ourselves, is that the great goal of my life? And is that the great goal of Charlotte Chapel? So that in everything, Christ might have the supremacy. And so in conclusion, you'll be glad to know. This morning we've looked at what it means to be made for a mission. The greatest mission on this earth. David Brainerd was someone who shared in this mission. Born in 1718 in Connecticut, just before the Great Awakening. His heart burned for the supremacy of Christ in all things. He was only 29 when he died of tuberculosis. And his gravestone simply says this. A faithful and laborious missionary to the Stockbridge, Delaware and Susquehanna tribes of Indians. But in truth, his life of self-sacrifice, it touched the world. He travelled 20 hours a week on horseback. His home was a small log room with straw as a bed. And he prayed fervently for the American Indians. And what was his motive? Well, he once wrote this in his diary. I long to be a flame of fire, continually glowing in divine service and building up of Christ's kingdom to my last and dying breath. So that in everything, Christ might have the supremacy. My challenge this morning is simply this. Do you and I share that same great goal? Let us pray.